This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, August 2nd, 2015. Classic Hits 2, Stop in the Name of Love. Well, good morning, Connection Church. How many are surprised? Yeah, a few of you surprised? Yeah, stop in the name of love. Well, my name's Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? Thank you, Lord, for today. It's such a gorgeous day that you've given us, and it's a gift. Help us use the gift of today to, to your glory and to make a difference in your world. We pray this in your name. Everybody gathered said... Amen. So this morning we begin a new series, Classic Hits, Volume 2. We did Volume 1 two summers ago, summer 2013. It's an opportunity for us to have a little fun with a classic song, but at the same time using that song as a springboard into a spiritual discussion. So as you just heard, stop in the name of love. Before you break my heart, think it over. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's better you did that than me. Yeah, yeah, well, no, it's not even great for me, but that's okay, I have fun anyway. So, you know, Supremes recorded that, other people <coughs> did, but the Supremes, and it was recorded in 1965, and it was number one on the Billboard charts for about a week, and it was also number two on the soul charts. Yeah. Stop in the name of love before you break my heart, baby, baby. I'm aware of you go, where you go each time you leave my door. I've known of your secluded night. Are we in church? <laughs> I've known of your secluded nights. I've even seen her maybe once or twice. But is her sweet expression worth more than my love and affection? Haven't I been good to you? Stop in the name of love before you break my heart. So it's a song about love, a song about infidelity, and heartbreak. It is a popular song, but what in the world does that have to do with us right here, right now at Connection Community Church? Why is this our focus today? That's a very good question, and we're going to try to answer that. Consider this. What if we, what if we thought of this song from a little different perspective? Not from the perspective of a woman whose lover is running into the arms of another, but instead from the perspective of God singing this song to you and me. Singing this song to us as we turn away from the love of God and run to our other loves, the other gods of our choosing. Those things we run to with the hope of providing fulfillment, meaning happiness that are not of God, and which will not provide what we had hoped that they would. Is that a stretch? Well, maybe, but truth is, it's a perspective that we find frequently in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. So, in the Old Testament, there's a book of Deuteronomy. That's the fifth book of the Bible. And God is talking to Moses. Moses is the one who saw the burning bush, and God was preparing Moses for his death as Moses' people are going to continue into the promised land. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 31. And the Lord said to Moses, 
You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? They will prostitute themselves. Prostitute. God tells Moses that the people will turn their backs on God and, and they will sell themselves out, in effect, as a prostitute does, opening their hearts to other gods that they're worshiping in the land that the people in the land that they're entering already worship. It's interesting that God uses that kind of language here, a kind of a sexual language, in order to get the point across as strongly as possible. Unfortunately for the Hebrew people, by turning their backs on the one true God, they missed out on the blessings that God has to offer. No, no different for them than it is for us today when we turn our backs on God. So last week we looked at uh, the prophet Ezekiel. We looked at chapter 37 and we talked about dry bones. Thank you. Dry <laughs> bones. Give that guy and a prize. <laughs> What's that? Give him a prize. Yeah, you get, you get a prize. <laughs> get an extra cup of coffee. So dry bones. You know how um, God was going to blow new life into bones. And so actually... Uh, this is new life into the nation of Israel. Now, much earlier uh, in Ezekiel, we find chapter 16, and it's focused on why Israel got where they got, why the nation tanked, why the, na why the nation went under, why the bones were so dry and needed that new life. So, Chapter 16, there's a little subtitle in our Bibles, if we have the NIV, New International Version. And the subtitle is An Allegory of Unfaithful Jerusalem. Think back to your English class as an allegory, the story, a poem, or a picture that can be interpreted to have a hidden meaning. Kind of like a parable, Jesus spoke in parables, sharing a, a greater truth through a story, or uh, like a metaphor. Well, in this chapter, chapter 16 of Ezekiel, the prophet, God's mouthpiece, compares Jerusalem to a person who, at birth, uh, no one looked at Jerusalem for compa with compassion or pity, but the Lord did. When no one else cared about Jerusalem, the Lord helped her, Israel, grow like a plant in a field. Mm. And so uh, the Lord continues speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And in this allegory, he makes the uh, implied comparison of, of Jerusalem to a young woman. Okay? So here's what the Lord says. He says, and let me warn you, it, it's pretty, uh, language he uses here is pretty, uh, not what we normally think of here in church. You grew up and became tall and arrived at full womanhood. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. I, I passed by you again and looked on you. You were at the age for love. I spread the edge of my cloak over you and covered your nakedness. I, I pledged myself to you and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off the blood from you and anointed you with oil. I, I clothed you with embroidered cloth and with sandals of fine leather. I bound you in fine linen and covered you with rich fabric. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your arms, a chain on your neck, a ring on your nose, earrings in your ears, 
and a beautiful crown upon your head. You were adorned with gold and silver, while your clothing was of fine linen, rich fabric, and embroidered cloth. You had choice flour and honey and oil for food. You grew exceedingly beautiful, fit to be a queen. Your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor that I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. And so God has this comparison of Jerusalem to a young woman, how he's taken care of her, helped her to grow. And, and again, some graphic language in there as he talks about her physical uh, coming of age, so to speak, using kind of graphic, even sensual, even borderline sexual language to describe this young woman and in so describing Jerusalem and God's relationship with her, with, with the city, with, with Israel at large. And and why would God use that kind of language, that sensual language? Why would God use this analogy of a developing woman? Well, we think it's because of the intimacy of the relationship that God desires with God's people. You know, God gave us sex as a means of our most intimate expression when we use it according to God's guidelines. And so God here uses sexual language in this allegory as he talks about the people of Jerusalem, and his relationship, trying to get them to understand uh, his intimacy, how, how intimate he wants that relationship to be, uh, the, in the relationship that he's seeking to have with his people. Intimacy. Not physical in the way of sexual, but it is physical because when we accept Christ, Christ resides in our heart but also intimacy as far as emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy and relational intimacy. That's what God wants for us. It is a love affair, a love affair that God desired with the people of Jerusalem, and it's the very same love affair that God desires with each one of us here today. And so God helped this young woman, Jerusalem, mature, and unfortunately, though, the people were unfaithful. And, 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 and through Ezekiel, God uses extremely graphic language to describe what is going on here. And so he said, but, but you trusted in your beauty, and you played the whore. It's not a word we expect in church, is it? You played the whore because of your fame and, and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Remember, he's talking about Jerusalem here, but using this uh, human idea to give us the, the picture there. You, you lavished your whorings on any passerby. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore. Nothing like this has ever been or ever shall be. Wow. So I'm a little uncomfortable right now. But, you know, we just don't preach the good parts of the Bible. We've got to preach it in full. And so, through the prophet Ezekiel, the Lord continues to confront the people as he tells them how they took everything that the Lord had shared with them, their jewels of gold and silver, and made for themselves idols and continued to prostitute themselves with them. He talked about how he how they took their embroidered garments to cover them and set God's oil and incense before them. Ezekiel talked about how they took the bread that the Lord had given, 
choice flour and oil and honey. And they took that and gave it to God's little G God as a sacrifice. Can you see how, how far down the people went, how far away they were from God? And then he continues to talk about how they uh, turned from him and turned toward these surrounding gods of the surrounding peoples. When he says this, so the Lord goes on to tell how they prostituted, there's that word again, prostituted themselves with every passerby, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Chaldeans. And then he tells them that unlike a prostitute, they scorned payment. And then compares uh, Jerusalem to the adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her own husband. It's a strong language, isn't it? I, he's trying to get them to understand just how they've broken away from him, how strong that is. And then he says, instead of receiving payment, Jerusalem paid out. And then the Lord lets them know the full extent of his anger at their unfaithfulness, at his jealousy because of their adultery. Therefore, you prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you poured out your lust and exposed your naked body and your promiscuity with your lovers, and because of all your detestable idols, and because you gave them your children's blood, therefore I'm going to gather all your lovers with whom you found pleasure, those you loved as well as those you hate, and I will gather them against you from all around and will strip you in front of them, and they will see you stark naked. Well, God goes on to tell the people of Jerusalem, of Israel, that he will deliver them into the hands of those who they took on as lovers. For all the surrounding people whose gods the Hebrew people followed instead of the one true God. And that's exactly what God did. We, we talked about this some last week in Ezekiel chapter 37, where uh, Babylonian, the Babylonians conquered them, they, they took over, they destroyed Jerusalem, the temple was in Jerusalem, and took a lot of people, they, you know, deported them, and a lot of them were the best and the brightest. I mean, it's like Jerusalem was decimated. We're reminded here once again that our actions have consequences and that God does hold us accountable. Oh, God loves us, but there is an accountability that we have before the Lord. You know, I love the Bible for a lot of reasons, but one of them is, is what's going on here this morning. I mean, it's not sugar-coated, is it? <laughs> and it doesn't sweeten it up just to make it a little less painful to hear. God uses very, very harsh language here to get the point across, to try to get the people... To, to not just see, but to feel the pain that, that comes to him when we turn from him, when, when we go to these other gods. And, you know, it isn't just here in Ezekiel. You look through the Old Testament, if we had an hour to preach, we could have given you several more examples because over and over, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, several of the Old Testament prophets, and also we find it in the New Testament. In the book of James, there's an example where um, God uses this analogy of an unfaithful lover, of an adulterer, of a prostitute to try to get the people to understand just how deep his love is for them 
and how painful it is when, when they abandon, when they turn away from, when they are unfaithful to that love. And the God who spoke to Israel thousands of years ago is the very same God who we worship today. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And this God who we worship here today loves us just as God loved God's people back uh, in the Old Testament. And God's love is so multifaceted that it's hard to even put words around it. The Greeks tried to do that, where they had special words for the, for the word love. They had the word agape love. That's a word that we use a lot, God's unconditional love. That um, love that we can't do anything for except to receive it. And then they had the word filio uh, in regard to love. Filio love, the brotherly, sisterly love that we would have for our family or people who are very close to us. And then they had a word for love, eros, the erotic, sensual, the intimate kind of love. So God, God's love is so complete that we can't even begin to understand how big, how deep, how wide it is. And we believe that that's why God uses this analogy uh, in Ezekiel to help us expand the way we might think about the kind of love, that intimate kind of love that God has for us, and how God is hurt when we are unfaithful, when God is not our first love. God loves us so much that he sacrificed his son, his one and only son, so that we might be forgiven when we turn our backs, when we act like uh, the people that we're reading about, so that we can be re reunited with God, have that intimate relationship that God desires so much. And so stop, the Lord says, in the name of love, before you break my heart. You know, in that 16th chapter of Ezekiel, God pointed out how Jerusalem, people of Jerusalem, and that means also the people of Israel at large, how they had turned away from God, how God uh, had turned away from God's love, how they had turned to other gods, little g gods, and in so doing, gave their love to them. Now, God tells us the same thing today. And we, we might think, we, we don't have a shrine or an idol or anything like that, like they worshiped back then, you know, the various shrines and poles and man-made created things that they would worship. We don't have any of that, but, you know, the truth is, many of us do, including us. You know, we have cars, cars, cars and houses, and boats, and house, second and third houses, and clothes, and electronics, and money, 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 and all the toys that money can buy, the newest, the biggest, and the best, but we have careers, we have hobbies, we desire to be self-reliant. Sometimes we worship our time, our talent, our treasure. Sometimes we even worship other people. 
and I'm not talking necessarily about rock stars and football players or baseball players, other people, just regular people around us, maybe even family members, as we put those relationships ahead of our relationship with God. And the thing is, there's nothing wrong with stuff, with cars and houses. And, you know, if you look scripturally, um, God blessed Abraham with lots of stuff. But the question is, how are we going to approach it? How are we going to use it? Where is our allegiance going to be? Because when we have this stuff, if we're not careful, it's real simple to start worshiping it, making it number one. Not just the stuff, but uh, our time, talent, energy, and other people and those other relationships. If we're not careful, we let them come before the number one in our life, and that will be God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy, and the Holy Spirit. You know, it's real easy for us to find out what we worship. And I think we've shared this before, but it bears repeating. All you have to do is look at your calendar and look at your bank account. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our money? The answer to those two questions will show us what we value, what we love, and ultimately what we worship. Stop in the name of love. God wants you. God wants me. God wants all of us, not just pieces and parts of us, but all of us. God wants to be first in our lives. took me a long time to get this, but Alan is not first in my life. God is my grandkids. My kids are not first. That's where I've messed up before in my life, though, because there have been times when they have been, and that's not the way God wants it. And I had to confess that and turn from that, and it's really hard. What do you mean your kids aren't first? No. God is first. And the way that I dealt with my husband and my kids and now my grandkids flows out of my relationship with God. It doesn't come over that relationship with God. That's how God desires us, uh, us to live and be in relationship. God does not want our leftovers. And those relationships are better when you do it that way. Those relationships are so much better when we do it that way. God does not want our leftovers. God wants us to uh, be known by God and to know God intimately. Life is so much better when everything is ordered that way. Love God. Love one another. It's on our to-do list. It's also in the Bible. Jesus quoted it. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. So in a few minutes, we're going to be sharing together in Holy Communion, celebrating that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples, where he told them to remember him. And he tells us to remember that he's with us, with us even to the end of the age. And during this sacred time of Holy Communion, we encourage you, in fact, we, we challenge you to take a self-inventory and to uh, seek God and to ask God to reveal to you those areas in your life where, where you may be putting your trust, your hope, your faith, your resources, your time, talent, and treasure, putting your love to things other than God first and foremost.
We encourage you to seek God's forgiveness for if you've done that. As you confess, repent. Repent means to go in a new direction. Not just say, I'm sorry, but go in a new direction and turn back to God, seeking always to make him number one in your life. So before, as the song says, before we rush off into the arms of another, before we turn away from God for what we think we need or want or desire, think it over, think it over. Hasn't God been good to you? In fact, hasn't God been sweet to you? Stop in the name of love before you break God's heart. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, you didn't pull any punches in Ezekiel chapter 16. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the convicting word through your prophet Ezekiel and what that would mean in our lives. Help each one of us uh, do some self-examination to see those places and spaces and people and places and stuff that we might put ahead of you. And help us make a decision to choose you first overall and order our lives in that way. Thank you for your son Jesus, for the gift of that relationship and that love and for the opportunity to be in an intimate relationship with you, God. We pray this in the name of God the Father, Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.